Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanless Podcast. We are one week into the US Open and I think it's fair to say it has been quite a crazy week with one particular incident that we will get onto later. But before we do that, uh, joining me as always is Marcus Ali. Marcus, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks Michael. Yeah, definitely a long overdue episode this one and uh, yeah, I'm just... Glad I'm going to get the opportunity to get some things off my chest today. Okay, I'll look forward to that. And uh, we are joined by a special guest today. We are joined by Paul Trigunner. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Special is very kind of you, thank you. I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but thanks for having me. Any guest on the tennis podcast, not tennis podcast, the tennis fan of this podcast is special, Paul, and especially you. Um, Okay, so we'll jump straight in with the news. So the US Open, uh, if you have been following it, or even if you haven't been following it, you would have heard uh, the extremely big news came uh, two days ago on Saturday. Uh, Novak Djokovic was playing against the... 20th seed Pablo Carreno Buster uh, of Spain. Buster was leading 6-5 in the first set. Djokovic hit a ball away in frustration and it struck a line judge in the throat uh, after a lengthy discussion, about 12 minutes of discussion I think it was. Uh, Djokovic has been defaulted from the tournament, has been kicked out obviously as we've spoken about on this podcast before, both Nadal and Federer are not playing. So it's um, a very, very open draw now, but we'll just stick with the Djokovic bit for the moment. Um, Marcus, first sort of reaction to this. There's a lot to say. Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, my initial reaction was just one of devastation and uh, frustration, really. I mean, Djokovic has never been one of my favourite players um, to watch, especially with his actions in, in, in recent months. However... To see someone go out for such a careless act that, in the end, I suppose didn't. Um, luckily, the like the female line judge was was okay. Um, it, it just it leaves a sour taste in the mouth, particularly with Djokovic being the only Grand Slam champion left in the draw, I believe. Yeah. Um, so just yeah, just losing the best player at, at the tournament for such a needless event was um, very frustrating. Um, I did uh, not give myself any time to calm down and um, did basically slaughter the US Open on Twitter uh, straight away after. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of frustration because it does feel like, even though it's in the rules, the umpire has to enforce the rules or the laws. I'm not really sure what they're called in tennis. Um it's just it just felt a bit needless. Like it was an accident. Djokovic hasn't smashed the ball as hard um, as as we've seen, like like the violent act from David Nalbandi and, and and Denis Shapovalov, which are the two incidents that spring to mind with with defaulting. I just feel like there was so little malice in this in this action compared to those two that it just seemed really harsh. I mean, yeah, the rule states it black and white. It is a default, and I'm not blaming the umpire for doing that. It just feels like there's no room for manoeuvre in that rule. Like It just feels like Djokovic has had... He's not even hit the ball hard, you know. He's just sort of flicked it away um, and, yeah, got got unlucky. I mean, it's a careless act. He, you know, he'll definitely think twice before doing it again. Um, but, yeah, I'm just thinking if there was a crowd there as well, they they would have been on the side of uh, making the game carry on. Um, it definitely wouldn't have happened, but I just think in the spirit of the game, like long term, there hasn't been a lot of damage done. Short term, there hasn't been a lot of damage done. Like shouldn't shouldn't the emphasis be on carrying on a match of tennis in the last sixteen of a Grand Slam if we can and. Although a rule was violated, there was very little damage. There was no injury to this to this woman. 
you know, Djokovic apologised. Why can't we just dust ourselves down and carry on? I know the law states that wouldn't have been possible, but it definitely needs looking at. And that was your weekly preaching from Marcus Ali. Um, interesting take. Uh, I, I, I've got some certain things to say in response to that. I'm, I wouldn't say I completely agree with all the points you make. But, uh, Paul, I'll come to you first. Um, you've heard what Marcus had to say there. What's your, what's your thoughts? Um, well, I think Marcus, a lot of what Marcus had to say is, is valid. But ultimately, I think it was stupid from Novak. Like, he knows that by hitting the ball, there is a chance, even though it's a very slim chance of hitting a line judge. And obviously, he didn't mean to do it. Like, he is an amazing tennis player, but to hit somebody like that when you're not even looking at them would be some feat. But I just think for a character who is so desperate to be liked by tennis fans on a level as Federer and Nadal are loved, I think he needs to just stop doing stupid things. Like this year in particular, he's had a nightmare, really, for his image. And this just tops it off. But um, yeah, losing the top-seeded, top-ranked player, as well as Federer and Nadal not playing, I think it also is a, a shame for the other players in the competition because whoever wins it now, they would have had a, an asterisk next to the name anyway. But now that the top three players are not in it, it's going to kind of taint it a bit for whoever wins it. So it's a shame, but I actually think that the uh, the competition might even have... Um, the exchange between the umpire and Djokovic was, what, like 15 minutes long? I think if it was a lesser-ranked player, it would have been a lot shorter. I think they did try and come to an arrangement, but at the end of the day, I think they made the right call by the rules to... Uh, disqualify him, default him. But yeah, it was, it's it's not good. Nobody wants to see a match end after, what was it, like 12 games or something? I don't know, but nobody wants to see that and it's just a shame that it happened the way it did. Yeah, I can completely agree with what you say there. I think the the one thing that really burns on my mind is that a lot of players do do this. They do hit balls away. Um, but but Djokovic is one of the players that does do it the most. Um, he, he does it so often. And, and as much as you can say he's very unlucky that he hit the line judge on, on the throw, I think there's also an argument to say that he's extremely lucky that this is the first time it's happened in his career. He's been, I don't know how long has he been on the tour, right? over 10 years now. And I've seen him a lot of times hit balls away. And, and just before he did this, this one that, that hit the line judge in the throat. He hit the ball much harder away, which and that hit a scoreboard, I think. So that wasn't too much of a problem. But I think, you know, maybe it's just, you know, his his, his luck with it's run out. And, and there's a video that surfaced um, around social media of Djokovic. I think it's the Australian Open from a few years ago, getting quizzed by the media on exactly this. And Djokovic was basically saying, well, you know, until I hit somebody. But he basically said, until I hit someone, you know, it's not a problem. And I think, you know, this he, this has led to this. And unfortunately, it's just a massive coincidence and a bit of a shame that it has happened on this stage where people were kind of relying on Djokovic to stay in the tournament for it to have some sort of validity to it. I think everyone wants to see a, a team Zverev, Tsitsipas, I know he's not in the draw anymore, but etc. Everyone wants to see them win a slam, but I think everyone wants to see them win a slam against Djokovic in the final. Um or at least beat Djokovic en route. And yeah, I think I, I agree exactly what we say. Just we will read out um just quickly what Djokovic has said on social media. He um actually didn't do a press conference, which was a very interesting move from him. The players are obliged to do press conferences after their matches. And he just left without doing one, which in itself is another violation of rules uh, and, and a more purposeful violation. And he, he then went to social media and he said, this whole situation has left me really sad and empty. I checked on the lines person and the tournament told me that, thank God, she is feeling OK. I'm extremely sorry to have caused her so much stress, so unintended. So thank you for the positive messages. Please also remember the lines person was hit. Needs, uh, she's, yeah. It, it, it goes on. I think 
personally, and I, I'll come to you, Marcus, in a sec, because I know you've listened to the tennis podcast from yesterday, um, which is the one uh, done by late David Law and um, Catherine Whitaker. Uh, you know, they. I think it is an odd way to to do this, and not come out and do a press conference and speak directly, which which Shapovalov did after the Edmund match, but instead, sort of run away from a press conference, do a tweet, and open it up with, "It's left me feeling really sad and empty." I don't know. I think the wording of the the post is a little bit odd. What what's your take on it, Marcus? Um, I mean, it could have been a wise move not to do the press conference. He's going to get fined for it, I'd assume. Um, but say he'd come out and just been... Like, we've seen Djokovic be really prickly in press conferences. Um, one that springs to mind after he lost to Marco Cecchinato uh, in, in the French Open. And so if he'd been even more annoyed and seemed that he wasn't being sort of uh, uh, courteous towards the, the damage that he could have potentially done to this... this this line judge, then it would have come, come across even worse. It'd be a, a, another, I mean, another L for Djokovic off the court uh, this season. Um, I also think that the wording of the post, I mean, it's all PR. It is all PR. Like, did he even write it? Like, it's just PR, isn't it? I, I don't really know how much we can take into that. Look, he said he's sorry in it. He said he was sorry straight away. Um, it's clearly hurting. Um, I think he didn't do the press conference just because he didn't trust himself to not come across even worse than he already has and, and to further um, damage damage his image. Yeah, no, I think I think that's uh, a fair point on that. Um, we don't want to be sitting around talking about this all podcast. What's happened has happened. It's not really something that we wanted to be talking about. Um, but... The one big thing that comes from this, uh, not so much the headline, but the the one big thing that comes to this in terms of the draw is that it is now so open. Um, we're going to have a first time Grand Slam winner, which will be the first time in quite a while with the dominance of uh, the big three. Uh, obviously, Nada- um, Murray and Ravrinka are the only two players. Oh, and Chilich, the only three players in the last, hazard a guess, a little over a decade, uh, possibly more, they're the only other players other than the big three to be able to win slams. Uh, so we're looking forward to seeing someone new win one. Um, we'll quickly, uh, we'll, we will now go through the uh, quarterfinals for you uh, and talk a bit about each player and their tournaments as, as we go through. So today we've got uh, tonight, even we've got the first two quarterfinals. Um, Alexander Zverev, the fifth seed um, has made his, I believe it's his first ever U S open quarterfinal. Uh, he comes up against Borna Choric, the young Croatian uh, who has been about now on the tour for a little while. Um, I think everyone expected him to, hit heights before he did. I'm I'm not sure if he's had injury problems. Um but he's you know he's he's not quite fulfilled his potential I think that we thought we had. Um and but Chorich actually uh leads the head to head between uh, him and Zverev three one. Uh they met at the US Open in twenty seventeen and Chorich beat him in four sets. Uh so that's at six fifteen tonight. Uh, we'll come to you, Paul, on that. Um, what's your thoughts about that match? Do you think, obviously, Zverev, I think, is definitely favourite being the fifth seed. But obviously, Koric has this this 3-1 head-to-head and Zverev, we know, doesn't have the best Grand Slam record uh, and will be feeling the pressure in this match. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I'm quite surprised Koric... <clears throat> sorry, I'm quite surprised Koric has made it this far. Um I mean, some of the opening rounds, I think in round two and three, he had five setters. Uh, one of them was against Sitsipas and he knocked Sitsipas out. But yeah, I don't know. I just, again, he's he's sort of flattered to, flattered to deceive. He's not really done much, like you said. So I'm surprised he's got to court final. Uh, Zverev, yeah, I think the only thing that stops him winning this game is his own head. I think mentally, if he's 
if he might be thinking, right now I've got a massive chance to win a slam and he's putting extra pressure on himself, then I think that might be his undoing. But I can't really see anything other than a Zverev win. That's interesting. Interesting analysis on that uh, and some very good points. Um, Korich, I, I just looking at it now, uh, has not had it easy at all. Straight sets against Pablo Andahar in the first round, but then uh, two five-setters, as you said, against Londero. That's someone who Korich should not be going to five sets with on, on a hardcore surface. Uh, and then obviously a brilliant five-sets win against Sitsipas. So you've got to give it to him there because Sitsipas looked on fire in his opening rounds. And then Korich did get through his fourth round match in straight sets against Jordan Thompson. Although you would maybe say getting Jordan Thompson for a place in your first Grand Slam quarterfinal is probably a nice draw. Um, Marcus, what's your thoughts on this match? Um, I'm similar to Paul, maybe not as as confident in, in Sasha Zverev. I do think he is favourite despite the head-to-head record. Um, you know, yeah, he's had an easier route into the last eight. And despite experiencing a little drop-off since winning his uh, his crown at the ATP Tour Finals, not last year, but, but the year before, he has still progressed a little bit better than Borna Cioric, who we've seen fall away from the top 10, top 15 places in the last year or so. So making the quarterfinals has really seen Cioric sort of force his career back on track, I, I guess you could put it. Um, yeah, like having to grind it out against Juan Ignacio Londero in the second round is sort of uh, sums up where he's been at in the last couple of years. So the win over Sissipas really did come as a surprise. And um, yeah, he could carry on that momentum against Jordan Thompson. And I think he will put up a good fight against Zverev. I could see this one going to going to five sets. Um, but yeah, Zverev, Zverev does edge it for me. And I think he'll have his sights on the final looking at looking at the draw. Yeah, I think Zverev uh, has got the nicer half of the draw, I think it's important to say. Um, with Team and Medvedev, the other two that people are really considering as potential slam champions here, they're on the same half of the draw. So just going on to that other quarterfinal on Zverev's side of the draw, uh, so the winner of Corridge Zverev will play the winner of Pablo Carreño Busta, a 20th seed, obviously might have a bit more energy. It got through uh, after just 11 games against Novak Djokovic in the default. Um, he's actually been to a semi-final at the US Open a few years ago. Uh, lost to I think, Kevin Anderson in the semi-final the year that Anderson uh, got to the final and lost to Nadal. Um, Karenio Busta takes on the 12th seed, Denis Shapovalov. Uh, so, you know, another player that's been defaulted for hitting an official with a ball. So, Karenia Bista might fancy his luck again there. Um, so this is an odd uh, Grand Slam quarterfinal in my mind. We haven't seen much of this, especially on the men's side in the last few years. It's a 20th seed against a 12th seed. Uh, Karenia Bista's got a 3-1 advantage in their head-to-head. Um, again, like with Koric and Zverev, you'd probably say the favourite is Shapovalov, uh, despite the, the 3-1 head-to-head record. They also played at the US Open in 2017, which I believe is the year Pablo Cunibusta got to the semi. Um, he won that in straight sets. Um, Marcus, I'll come to you first on this one. Yeah, I think just one thing, thing to add on the way these quarterfinals are shaping up is even though we might say it's not down to as much merit or validity as we would have liked, this type of four quarterfinals in a US Open is kind of what we've been craving for the last five years. Um, so we, we shouldn't take it lightly. We shouldn't uh, take it for granted. You know, this is this is possibly the most exciting point in, in tennis that um, I've definitely experienced since since uh, being a fan. Um, but onto the match, and as Paul said about Sasha Zverev, maybe that only his head is going to stop him getting into the semi-finals. I do feel similarly about Denis Shapovalov with this matchup with Pablo Carreno Busta. I don't see that many weapons for the Spaniard. You know, he's a, he's a consistent player. You know, he's he'll uh, he'll keep a base le- level of performance up the way through a tournament. And I feel like most of his wins come off profiting um, other players' dips in performance, and that is definitely a characteristic of Denis Shapovalov's game. 
in, in the last few years, obviously a young player coming through is to be a bit expected. I mean, if, if he can sustain his best level that he showed in a great four sets win over David Goffin in, in, in the fourth round, then there's no doubt in my mind, mind that Denis Shapovalov wins this match comfortably. However, if his level drops, Karen Buster will pick up a set or two or even more. Um, so I think it's, it's a tough game. He's going to have to grind it out to get into the semi-final. Although I, I'm kind of talking myself over to going for Pablo Karen Buster because I just, I don't think Shapovalov is, he's, he's, he's in uncharted waters and I think the pressure might get to him a little bit. Yeah, and interestingly, just looking at this now, Shapovalov has not had an easy run to this match. He has not won a straight sets match in his first four rounds. He dropped a set to Sebastian Corder in the first round, uh, Sunwoo in uh, the second round, Taylor Fritz, he went to five sets and then dropped a set to Goffin. So he's been on, been on court a long time. Um, I, I realise I didn't give a prediction for the last match. I'm going... Uh, Zverev, but in five for that one, or a, a very close match. For this one, like with you, Marcus, or before you talk yourself out of it, I think, I think I've think i got to go Shapovalov. But then, yeah, I'll talk myself out of it as well, because Kronobista's going to have a lot more energy. He's had, um, he had a five-set first-round match, but uh, he's had straight sets since, and then obviously he got the, the default in... The, the first match but I think I've, I've got to go for Chapovalov in this one I think all round he's got a lot more weapons um, than Krenio Buster and yeah I think he's going to really fancy his chances now uh, what about you Paul? Uh, yeah I'd, I'd basically agree with everything you guys said and on another point as well is Krenio Buster has had a, quite an easy route to the quarterfinal I mean I don't think he besides Djokovic he played a seeded player I don't think and yeah, you're yeah. right on that. And he got hand- handed the win against Djokovic. So he hasn't really been tested, whereas Shapovalov beating Goffin and um, who else was it? Oh, Fritz beating Fritz. Those are two decent wins. So, yeah, I think he's probably play- had to have played at a higher level than Karenio Buster to get to the quarterfinals. So, yeah, I think maybe in four for Shapovalov. Okay. Interesting. Interesting there. Shapovalov in four says... Paul, um, okay, we will now go on just quickly to um, tomorrow's quarterfinals. Uh, so Dominic Team, who is now the highest ranked player in the draw, we haven't really spoken much about him, uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about him now. Um, a lot of there was a lot of talk about Dominic Team over lockdown. He was winning these exhibition matches, looking really good. Um, I know Marcus sort of before last week when he had that first round exit. At, Western and Southern, I know that you were you were tipping team to win the US Open, Djokovic or no Djokovic. So it's a player, I know he's a player that you're really confident in um, and he has looked really good. He absolutely thrashed Felix Auger-Aliassime yesterday, really close first set, 7-6, and then demolished him 6-1 in, in both. Uh, looking really good. He will take on uh, Grand Slam quarterfinal debutant uh, Alex Dimonur of Australia, who is just 21 years old. Um, Dimoneur has had a, a bit of a tough run to the final. Gasquet, Hatchinoff, uh, and then straight sets over Pospisil, who, which, you know, Pospisil, you wouldn't have thought was a really hard match, but then he had done really well at this tournament, beating Milos Reinich on the way. So um, I think a really interesting match here. I think I've got to go team. I, I, I can't see that Dimoneur's going to have it in him to beat him. Um, but then again, you know, team team's going to be feeling a lot of pressure now. Um, and he might, you know, he'll, he'll deny it in his interviews because the players won't admit to feeling a load of pressure on them. But there's no way in which Dominic team can't be feeling a lot of pressure now. He, he has never in his career been the favourite to win a Grand Slam. And, and now at the quarterfinal stage, he is... Perhaps not the bookies' favourite, with that being Medvedev, but he's the highest seeded player in the draw. Made the US, uh, the Australian Open final earlier this year, and arguably could have, should have won that. Um, so yeah, a lot of pressure on Team Paul. What what are you thinking about Dominic Team? Well, I assume you probably think he's going to win this match. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Also, to go on to the pressure, I think he's 
he's the second oldest player left in and he's only 27 so that's kind of a, shows what the draw is but yeah I think like you said pressure's on him but this is quite a nice matchup I think I mean Dimonor's he's a good player he's quite I quite like watching him but I don't think he poses team any threat really I, I could see this being another comfortable game like a um, comfortable match like Felix yesterday so yeah I I think pretty comfortable for team and Marcus what are your thoughts you you we we've quickly uh, given Dimonor no chance at all do you want to save the part a bit of a bad reputation for when Dimonor wins in straight sets uh sadly not I think it's going to be in tatters if Alex Dimonor does come through and win this one yeah, I just think stylistically he doesn't really have a mu- much chance. I think a lot of his game is not very powerful. It's just based on relentless running um, and, uh, yeah, just staying in rallies that he really shouldn't have, um, which has really helped him get past big servers already in the tournament, like Karen Hatchinov and Vasek Pospisil to an extent. Um, so, yeah, I think straight sets for team. Yeah, um, He's managed to play himself into a bit of form after the poor loss in the Western Southern Open. Obviously, um, potential banana skins in Marin Cilic and, and Felix Auger-Aliassime, and he's made those those matches look look quite straightforward. So, yeah, team to book his place in the semi-finals in this one. Yeah, and just to fill Alex Dimino with even more confidence, uh, I mentioned their head-to-head record with being 2-0 to team. Uh, and I think Dimino has not won a set off of him before. Uh, no, I'm wrong on that. Uh, Dimonor did win one set off of him in the Davis Cup a few years ago. Um, now on to the last quarterfinal. Um, I think, for me, this is maybe my maybe the one I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, it's the battle of the two Russians, uh, Andre Medvedev. Uh, sorry, I've mixed their names there. Daniel Medvedev uh, has looked absolutely... Probably has been the most impressive player at this tournament uh, out of the remaining quarterfinalist. Has not dropped a set, albeit maybe hasn't had the toughest route to the quarterfinal. Um, Andre Rublev also, that's his opponent, Andre Rublev, uh, 14th in the world and 10th seed. He has also looked really impressive. He had not dropped a set uh, until we played Berrettini last night. Berrettini, before that match, I believe, had not even been broken in the whole tournament. and. Um, Rublev came from a set down to to win that in four. So I think this is these are two young, exciting Russian players. Obviously, Medvedev uh, was the runner-up last year in the match against Nadal. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really hard to know which way this is going to go. I think I've got to go with Medvedev being a higher-ranked player, more slam experience. Um, Rublev, I believe, yeah, Rublev is in his second quarterfinal. Uh, he made the quarterfinal here in 2017. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got to go for Medvedev, but I think possibly four or five sets. I think this could be a really good match. Um, I've lost track of who I'm going to first on this one. Um, Marcus, I think it is. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on this? Um, I definitely agree with you that this one stands stands out as as the the, the best one um, that I'm going to be watching definitely um, in in the last eight. Um, Rublev obviously has had a really good tournament after that disappointing loss to, to Dan Evans in the Western and Southern Open. Um, so, yeah, he's played himself back into some form and does look really good. I mean, an unbelievable year he's having. Yeah, just really putting himself on the map as a should be a top 10 player by the end of the season, without a doubt. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree with you. Medvedev, especially now without Djokovic, is the big dog. He's the one to beat. Um He's yeah, he hasn't dropped a set yet, so arguably the most consistent player so far. And um yeah, would he'll fancy his chances with, with the memory of getting to the final last year. I think he pushed Nadal to five sets. So he'll be thinking this is his time, this is his moment. He's now he's now the favourite and um that could spur Rublev on, but I think Medvedev should be too strong in this one. Um may might have a little little wobble now he's got the favourite tag, but yeah, I think three or four sets, Daniel Medvedev in this one for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Probably that prediction. Um, 
Just before I come to you, Paul, I will, important to mention, they've played three times and Medvedev has won all three in straight sets. So Medvedev boasts uh, a lot more uh, in in their head-to-head record. Um, and I think, tell me if you disagree with this, Paul, but I think compared to Dominic Team and Alexander Zverev, I think Medvedev seems to have that mental edge on those two uh, and maybe could handle the pressure a little bit better. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. I think out of the sort of group beneath Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, Medvedev is the one who I can see actually doing it and taking the mantle on. I think if he were to win this uh, US Open, I think he'd go on and win slams sooner rather than later beyond this. So yeah, I do agree. I think he's the probably the coldest character in the nicest sense, like most ruthless um, but Rublev, I don't know. I think, like you said, this is going to be the best match. They're two players in really good form. And, I mean, Russian rivalry, you never know. That might spur Rublev on a little bit more. But, yeah, I think Medvedev in three or four. Yeah, I think we've... Okay, so we've all got Medvedev there. I think generally across the quarterfinal predictions, we've all sort of gone the same. Um, we will wrap up sort of the men's side of it now because I know we've been talking about this for a little while. I'm going to end on a, just a quick prediction from all of you. Um, I'm going to ask you each who is going to win the US Open on the men's side. I'm going to open it up and I'm going to say Daniel Medvedev. Dominic team. Daniel Medvedev. Okay. 2-1 to Medvedev there. Um, and just another thing to say uh, on the men's side, which somehow has escaped this podcast so far, is the exceptional week of Andy Murray. His first Grand Slam tournament in over a year and a half um, was two sets and a breakdown to... Yohisho, ah, I can't say the name properly, Nishioka from Japan, uh, who beat Dan Evans earlier this year at the Australian Open. He's a really good quality player. And Murray came back, uh, you know, two sets down on the break. Um, exceptional comeback from him. I think everyone had written all, him off by that point. And you've, you, it's got to be looking bad if you're writing Andy Murray off because he, he has proved so many times that you shouldn't write him off. But we, I think we all fell for it again. Um um, unfortunately, he didn't quite have enough left in the tank for his second round match against uh, Auger Aliassime, who uh, got past Murray quite comfortably in the end. I don't think Murray even had a break point in the match. So um, a really good week for Murray. Just a quick word on, on Andy Murray, Paul. Yeah, I think it's clear that the passion is still there for him. I mean, a lot of people would have just given up after the troubles that he's had, but I think he'll be hoping and praying for just a straight sets match at some point. I mean, that's going to do him the world of good. He's the emotional toll, I think, coming through these five set comebacks and stuff that takes on him is not going to help his recovery to maybe get him back to, I mean, obviously he's not going to get to the same level, but a more competitive level than he is now, which is still a good level. But yeah, I mean, I'm hoping and praying that the more he gets tournament experience back into his legs, the more he's able to cope. And then we start seeing a bit of the old Andy Murray, but there's no doubt that his tenacity is admirable. Yeah, I completely agree. I think once, once he does, is able to breeze past someone, maybe a quite a low rank player, but someone that can, Maybe maybe memories will start flooding back of when he used to do that week in, week out, and uh, it will aid his recovery because he's not not just having to absolutely run himself into the ground for every victory that he that he earns. Um, having said that, and it's a very impressive uh, win for Murray and, uh, and comeback, I am overall a little bit disappointed with the British showing at the US Open. Um, it's a good effort from Cameron Norrie, obviously a great win in the first round against Diego Schwartzman. Um, but then losing out to Davidovich Fakina in four sets, I feel like he could have posed a little bit more of a challenge there, though the Spaniard did have a good week. And also Dan Evans being the big disappointment after breezing for his first round against Thiago Saboff wild losing to Frenchman Corentin Moutet in, in the second round was was very disappointing. And um, 
yeah, he'll really need to need to bounce back, especially if he's going to push on towards those ATP Tour finals. Yeah, completely. Just one other British man in the draw was uh, Kyle Edmund. And it is, it is worth a mention, actually, um, that Kyle Edmund got the first set off of Djokovic, which feels like an age ago now because there's been so much tennis and results and drama since. Um, but at one point this week, Kyle Edmund was a setup against Novak Djokovic, which, you know, I think he, he, he won the first set off against off Djokovic when they played each other in Wimbledon um, a few years ago now, I think, or, or at, least, at least a couple of years ago. Um, I don't think we ever thought that Edmund was going to win it, but um, it was disappointing after that to see. Obviously, he's playing against world number one and Novak Djokovic, but after he won that first set um, he wasn't really able to find the form that he had it was almost like he blew himself out a bit too early um, and didn't really have anything left but then again I'm, I'm completely aware that I'm criticising someone for losing to the world number one at the moment so I'm going to stop um, okay and Marcus just wanted to do a few honourable mentions to players that we might not have mentioned so far in this segment uh, but he feels that have had good weeks yeah, just to rattle through three names, really, before we get over to the women's side. Um, that I feel like they've definitely warranted being highlighted. Um, the first one is Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. I believe he's only 20 or 21 uh, Spanish player. He's shown his best form on a, on a clay court in, in his first sort of experiences on the ATP Tour and did really well to get to the fourth round. He didn't have enough in the tank to uh, compete with Sassiverev in, in the last round, but did really well to get there with a five-set win over Dennis Novak, who can be a tricky, tricky customer in the first round, and a four-set win over Hubert Hercash, which definitely came as a surprise to me. And then, obviously, the win over Cameron Norrie. The next player is someone whose uh, form has dipped in the last couple of years, but clearly has the potential. Um, former Australian quarter-finalist, I believe, uh, Francis Tiafo. He got past a tricky first-round draw, beating Andreas Seppi in four sets, then fought really well to come back and beat John Millman in the second round in five sets. And then possibly the most impressive win of all of them was a three sets win over Marton Fuchovic in the third round. The uh, Hungarian had been in, been in really good form. Um, and then just finally Vasek Pospisil sort of coming out of nowhere as he seems to do after showing very mediocre form, um, slipping out of the top 100 quite consistently in recent years. Um, he had two very high profile wins um, won his straight sets in the first round. This is the easier one against Philip Kohlschreiber. And then proceeded to knock out Milos Raonic in four sets and Roberto Bautista Agut in five before falling to Alex Di Minaur. So, um, yeah, just a bit of kudos for those three players. Yeah, definitely worth mentions for them. So uh, we'll move over to the women's uh, side of the draw now. And I think what's really interesting here is, you know, we're quite often, we're used to seeing more new faces in, in the women's grand uh, side of things in the Grand Slams. Um, we're used to seeing the draws a lot more open. And although this draw is still very open, there's actually only one uh, Grand Slam quarterfinal debutant in it, whereas there's three on the men's side. I don't have the stats on me, but I feel like that's probably the first time in quite a while because we're used to seeing many same many of the same names getting to the quarterfinals on 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 the men's side. So uh, we'll just quickly rattle through the quarterfinals and uh, their head to head. I'll just do that now, and uh, then I'll come to Marcus and Paul just to give me their their insight on who they might think has a good chance. I think there's there's a couple of names in this that you you maybe feel. We'll get to the final. That's just my opinion. As you've got Jennifer Brady uh, against Yulia Putin Saber. Uh, Putin Saber leads their head to head 2 0. Uh, and Jennifer Brady is the only uh, woman on this side to be playing her first ever Grand Slam quarter final. Um, Naomi Osaka, champion in 2018, I believe, had that brilliant final against Serena Williams, uh, which is remembered. She faces uh, Shelby Rogers. Uh, who this is a very interesting head-to-head. -head. Uh, Osaka, obviously a former champion at the US Open. Uh, Shelby Robert Rogers leads a head-to-head 3-0. And all of their matches have been in the US, not at the US Open, but at tournaments in the US. So 
you know, definitely a potential banana skin for Osaka, who probably now is favourite to win this. Um, Victoria Azarenka, who won Cincinnati last week uh, and is on a real comeback run. She's playing in East Mertens, uh, the 16th seed. They've never played before. Azarenka's on an 11-win winning streak, uh, so she'll be really feeling up for that. And um, last final, now a little bit to say on this one. Um, Serena Williams will play Peronkova. Uh, I haven't said Peronkova's first name because I don't want to absolutely butcher it. Um, Williams leads to head-to-head 4-0. Um, but what is, I think this is probably one of the most amazing stories from the US Open this year. Um, Peronkova, before this tournament, had not played a professional match since 2017. Um, she has had a shoulder injury and then she gave birth in 2018. Um, probably around the same sort of time as Serena Williams did herself, and then they both took a long time off. Uh, so really, you're being a, seeing a big quarterfinal now uh, of two veteran players uh, and, and now two mums uh, playing. That could be really interesting. I think it's hard to look past Serena Williams in that because of their head-to-head records. Um, so yeah, interesting stuff on the women's side. Um, for me, it's going to be another Osaka Serena Williams final, which I think is what people would really like to see again after the dramas of their final a couple of years ago, um, which did not end well for Serena Williams. But um, Paul and Marcus, just a, a quick word on this. Um, yeah, what, what, what do you think, Marcus? Um, I agree with you, to be honest. I think Osaka Williams does look more um, the, the most likely final. Um, and yeah, just a, a great story from, from Peronkova, the Bulgarian. But I also wouldn't write off Victoria, Victoria Azarenka. Um, she, she won the Western Southern Open last week after Naomi Osaka withdrew from, from their final. Um, so maybe Osaka's carrying that injury throughout this tournament. Um, and yeah, I just think she's got a tough quarterfinal against Elise Mertens, one of the players really looking to break into that top bracket of, of women's players. But she's def- definitely got the pedigree. And uh, should she face Serena Williams in the semi-final, that could be that could be an incredible match. Yeah. Um, important to mention, um, Elise Mertens uh, beat Sophia Kennan 6-3, 6-3 in their last match, which you know, Kennan's second seed, she won the Australian Open earlier this year. She was on fire this whole tournament. And that, for me, was a massive surprise. Um, Merton's getting through that. So potentially Merton's could be a, a, a banana skin for Serena Williams, but so could Azarenka. Azarenka's on brilliant form. So, you know, maybe I'm I'm writing off the other players a little bit when I say Serena Williams to get to the final. Maybe it just feels like a bit of a default thing to say because we've seen a, I think it's a 17th, US Open quarterfinal. I mean, that most people will never even play 17 US Opens in their career. Most players, um, obviously not most people. Um, Paul, what's your, uh, your your take on that? Have you got any hunches about some any lower-ranked players or are you thinking it's mainly Serena Osaka? Um, I think I'm going to go Osaka to win the whole thing. But I don't know. I feel like she could end up playing as a ranker in the final is if that is the right side of the draw I'm not sure but yeah I don't know I just feel like Serena obviously she's still unbelievable and probably the best tennis player to ever live but I don't know I don't know if she I don't know I could just I don't know what it is but I can just see her not making the final basically I think she'll I think she'll beat Peronkova though although Peronkova has beaten some very good players to get to the quarterfinal. She beat Donna Vekic really comfortably. And Muguruza pretty comfortably. So yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's actually a really good matchup. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. Um and, and Azarenka is on the opposite side of a draw to Osaka. So, you know, a potential semi final between Serena Williams and, and Azarenka could be a, a really big match. Um, but yeah I'm looking at the top half of the draw and I'm struggling to see anyone that can beat Naomi Osaka but you know with with um, the women's side of the draw it, quite often you do get these surprises um, and Serena Williams I was reading yesterday this baffles me um, 
actually, we'll go on. We'll go for a little bit of trivia quickly. Marcus, we'll fire this one at you first. When was the last? When was the last Grand Slam that Serena Williams won? Do you think this baffled me? Is it Wimbledon before she lost the U.S. Open final to Osaka? So what year would that be? Uh, so you're saying Wimbledon 2018? That would have been that one. No. Yeah. No. She had the baby. No. Yeah. she had the baby in 2018. I think I, I can't remember when she had the baby. But um, Paul, do you know the answer to this? Uh, I might go Wimbledon the year before. She will go in Wimbledon. 2017 I'm just going to check this before I get this completely wrong because it still baffles my mind um, but it, I believe it is yeah the Australian Open in 2017 she's wow. not won a Grand Slam for about three and a half years now which I think is crazy uh, she hasn't won Wimbledon for four years um, she's been in her last four Grand Slam finals uh, she's made four Grand Slam finals since having her her baby and has has not won any of them so um potentially there is a big vulnerability now in there uh in in serena williams game uh with sort of being 38 now and maybe she's just feeling it a little bit more um and she's really i think she's chasing the all-time records i think she needs one more to win an all-time record or something and maybe it's just in the back of her head but um yeah so that's the winning women's side of the draw um which could also be really interesting like the men's side of the draw um just a really quick mention uh because obviously the ATP calendar is a little bit uh with this um year because of the COVID-19 pandemic we have actually got an ATP tournament starting today uh, running alongside the US Open, which is a very weird thought to have. Uh, it's in Kitzbühel, which is the Austrian one. Dominic Team won it last year, but obviously will not be playing because he's still at the US Open. But it's actually quite a good lineup in Kitzbühel. Could be a really good tournament, even though people's eyes won't necessarily be on it. Uh, Diego Schwartzman, Fabio Fignini, uh, Kainishikori, Yannick Sinner, uh, four names. Uh, among a host of players, uh, a host of good players in Kitzbühel. So I think that could be anyone's tournament. Um, Marcus, have you done a guess the player? Or are we just going to... Yeah, I have. I have. Um, we do it? Yeah, just to, just to run for a little bit on, on, on Kitzbühel first. Um, okay. Interesting little trope, I think. Uh, Dominic T might be a little bit low-key devastated as um, before coronavirus, he... He'd stated it in the normal schedule that he was going to skip playing in the Olympics just so he could play in his home tournament 250 Kitzbühel and try and retain his title. So, I mean, not that it's going to make him less focused, but that's definitely something he'd be a little bit disappointed about. But yeah, the clay court specialists are out in force there. So yeah, it's going to be good to watch as ever if, in, uh, if you want a little break from US Open action. But on to guess the player. And I've got uh, two people to taunt with. Should we just, uh, yeah, Paul, I don't know if you've listened to the end of one of our podcasts before, but we do like a guess the player bit. Okay. Um, so Marcus will just go through five clues. The first clue will be like ridiculous. Like it'll just be like, I'm right-handed and like, obviously <laughs> no one will get that. Um, but generally you kind of get a bit more clued up towards the end. So maybe if me and Paul each go, if um, I, I can guess first after the first clue and then Paul can guess first after the second clue and just... I say just... Or just first one. Yeah. yeah. Only one guess per clue, but yeah, just go for it. Yeah, that's fine. Go for it, Mark, because I'm looking forward to it. Right, so on to guess the player. And um, this week I've got two people to taunt with my clues. Um, so, yeah, Michael, don't get, don't get embarrassed by Paul, the debutant, as you, you usually a little bit puzzled. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the first clue, vague as always, he's 29 years old. Okay, uh, I will open this up with Taro Daniel. Fair play. It's not Taro Daniel, although he is playing in a challenger today, or probably right now as we record. I reckon he's about 29. I don't know. Paul? Uh, the second clue, it's got a little bit of detail. Did you want to... Wait, I'll just do a, do a guess each, each clue. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Well, I know 
I think Karenia Buster's 29, but that's that's the only reason I'll say him. Okay, yeah, good guess. Not not Karenia Buster. Second clue. This you you could get it off this one. It could be unheard of. I lost in round two of the Western Southern Open and the US Open to the same player, and both matches went the distance. It's um. Is it? Is Roberto Bautista a good? No, he's not twenty-nine. He also got to the final of the Western and Southern Open, mate, or semi-final, I think. Yeah. What? what did you, oh, did you give it a round? Yeah, round two in both. Oh right. Okay. Sorry. It was because he played Ryanich or was going to play Ryanich again in the US. I don't know if that ever happened. They were okay. I've, I've completely mugged myself there. I'll give it to Paul. Um. I. Don't know. I'm gonna say Berrettini. Is he too too young? Uh, yeah, he's too young. Good effort. Um, third clue is I recovered from COVID nineteen before the season restarted. Um, Grigor Dimitrov. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he lost to Martin Fuchovitz in three sets oh, of. Five. Yeah. Round two. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. I yeah. Interesting. Yeah. After that, I was just going for ranking and nationality. So that's yeah, pretty good effort from you on uh, not too much background. So well. Grigor Dimitrov is twenty nine. You know what a depressing thought. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> was it a Wimbledon semi at the age of? I don't know. Don't know. I know he knocks out Murray in the quarters that uh, that year. Mate. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, that's sad. Oh, well. We still believe in you, Grigor. I'm starting to sound like Catherine Whitaker. Yeah, okay. maybe. Cool. Um, so we'll wrap up uh, this episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. Um, we, I expect we will be back later in the week uh, to discuss uh, more of the sort of the late round action as, as things really climax in a... Uh, the US Open, we gave you our predictions earlier on. Just a reminder uh, that myself and Paul have both called uh, Daniel Medvedev to win, but Marcus has gone against us uh, for Dominic Team. Uh, and judging by how our predictions normally go, Alex Dimonur is probably going to be your Grand Slam champion this time next week. Um, <laughs> I've got a shaking head from Marcus. No chance, he's saying. Um, Paul, thank you very much for coming on. We'll have to have you on again at some point. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. It has been a pleasure and a special guest you were. Uh, And Marcus, thank you for joining me as always. Thanks a lot. Yeah, um, just pass on my thanks to Paul. Been been nice to have some variety and uh, yeah, some good insights on today's pod. Definitely. Um, Enjoy the tennis this week, guys. And uh, as I say, we'll be back later this week for another episode.